You're listening to KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is June 14th, 2022. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Lawmakers in Sacramento successfully passed the largest California spending plan in history. The $300 billion package passed despite objections from Governor Gavin Newsom. Among the disputes are how much money should be allocated for education and housing programs and what should be done to relieve the burden of the current price of motor fuels. The California Report has more. Hydrogeologist Steve Baker is here and he shares some good news despite the ongoing drought. We close with a special Flag Day commentary by Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The state legislature has passed a new state budget just in time for tomorrow's constitutional deadline. But as KQED's politics editor Scott Schaefer reports, it's something of a placeholder. The $300 billion state budget is the largest California spending plan ever, and it includes some $10 billion in tax refunds for small business owners and all but the highest income earners. It also has a huge bump up for K-12 schools. And, noted Assembly Budget Chair Phil Ting from San Francisco, billions to improve public schools' infrastructure. Good for our schools. It's good for the economy. Those are all jobs that are going to happen in all of our communities up and down the state. But Republicans complained there's too little money for farmers and water storage and no freeze on the gas tax, which the GOP is pushing. Assemblyman Vince Fong from Bakersfield. Californians are rightfully frustrated. They are paying more and getting less. State spending continues to rise, but the problems get worse and crises go unaddressed. But Democrats did put tens of billions into things like addressing homelessness, affordable housing, and preventing wildfires. And Senate Budget Chair Nancy Skinner from Berkeley touted the $38 billion put into reserves. Covering our budget stabilization account, the special fund for economic uncertainties, the public school system stabilization account, and our safety net reserve. None of that appeased Brian Daly, the Senate Republican who's running for governor. He used a culinary metaphor to describe the plan. So members, there's a lot of ice cream, I call it. There's not a lot of vegetables. Despite the budget's passage, major issues, including the contours of that massive tax refund, must now be negotiated with the governor. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. And speaking of gas, the average price for a gallon of gasoline continues to rise across the country and here in California. Over the weekend, the national average for a gallon of regular gasoline reached an all-time high, topping $5 a gallon. And here in California, according to AAA, a gallon of regular gas costs an average of $6.43, also a record. That's up more than 50 cents from a month ago and more than $2 from this same time last year. Rural Alpine County has the highest average price in the state, with a gallon of regular gasoline costing nearly $7.80. And returning to the state budget, one of the many items Governor Newsom is set to weigh in on is the potential elimination of court fees known as civil assessments. Civil assessments are penalties that courts impose when traffic tickets and other citations aren't paid on time. And like other government-mandated late fees and penalties, they often hit low-income and black and Latino Californians the hardest. Both the state assembly and Senate have voted to eliminate civil assessments and discharge all related debts. The question here is just in these coming days as the negotiations conclude, will the governor strip the budget 
the legislature's budget of this proposal. And it's totally possible that he will. Rio Scharf is an attorney with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights of the San Francisco Bay Area. In the past, Newsom has recommended cutting the $300 civil assessment fee in half. But Scharf and other advocates argue that even if reduced, the fines would still place an unnecessary financial burden on many Californians. Advocates also say they aren't that effective at coaxing people to pay up. Research from other jurisdictions shows that text reminders and better notices can actually outperform some of these harsh and more punitive approaches. According to research from Scharf's group, courts have extracted more than $750 million in civil assessments from Californians in the past 10 years. Since the beginning of the pandemic, the cities of Los Angeles, Long Beach, and Richmond have all adopted rules to stop landlords from harassing their tenants. That harassment includes shutting off utilities, failing to make repairs, or refusing to accept rent. As KQED's Aaron Baldessari reports, the Bay Area city of Concord is the latest to take up these protections for renters. When Ida Saliguera moved into her small two-bedroom apartment in Concord three years ago, it wasn't in the best shape. There were cockroaches and mice. The landlord would periodically fumigate the building, but she says they always came back. So last month, Guerra called the city's building inspection department. A few days later, she got an eviction notice. She thinks it's retaliation. KQED couldn't reach her landlord for comment. Guerra says she's been having headaches from the stress and doesn't know what to do. But if the Concord City Council adopts the proposed rules, she could have a new tool to fight the alleged harassment. The proposal would authorize fines of up to $5,000 and allow tenants to recoup attorney fees if they successfully sue their landlord. Joshua Howard with the California Apartment Association says the state already has laws that prohibit landlords from harassing their tenants. What these ordinances do is they invite excessive penalties on landlords for making what could be considered an innocent mistake. He blasted Conquer's proposal as overly broad and questioned why tenants' rights organizations across California are pushing for these types of rules now. Chula Vista and Antioch are also considering similar legislation. Shanti Singh, a spokesperson for Tenants Together, says the timing has a lot to do with the pandemic. Harassment really, really went up during COVID from the beginning, but especially, especially as the rent relief program sort of wore on and people were waiting. She says that, coupled with the eviction moratorium, meant frustrated landlords were looking for other ways to get their tenants to pay or leave. But Singh says another reason is that over the past decade, more people of color and especially low-income renters have been moving away from expensive coastal cities in search of housing they can afford. As people get pushed out further and further often inland, they're moving to places where they don't have any protections and they're trying to organize in those places. The Concord City Council is expected to vote tonight on the tenant anti-harassment ordinance. For The California Report, I'm Erin Baldessari. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. Stanfordbloodcenter.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, June 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Locally, the U.S. Forest Service announced today that the Tahoe National Forest will soon receive $11.2 million in funding from the Great American Outdoors Act and $4.6 million from the Sierra Nevada Conservancy's Wildlife Recovery and Forest Resilience Directed Grant Program. That's a total of $15.8 million. According to Matt Jedra, Acting Forest Supervisor of the Tahoe National Forest, the funds will be used to strengthen forest and community resilience. Quote, we are excited to have the opportunity to attend to maintenance challenges associated with increased visitation, conserve forested land, and mitigate the risks of high-intensity wildfires. End of quote. There are three legacy restoration fund projects identified on the Tahoe National Forest for funding this fiscal year. These projects will realign trail segments and harden stream crossings on trails in the Granite Chief Wilderness, implement vegetation management in priority campgrounds, and renovate an essential public service center. Approximately $2.6 million will go to the French Meadows Ecological Restoration Project to complete the last phase of mechanical treatments protecting the headwaters of the American River from high-intensity wildfires. $2 million will be used to remove hazardous vegetation and provide firefighting access to defend infrastructure and homes as part of the NIAC Fuels Reduction and Infrastructure Protection Project. Turning now to regional weather, here in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight will be clear with a low around 57 degrees. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 86, and Wednesday night will be cool again with a low around 58. Another weather system that could bring cooler weather and a chance of mountain showers and thunderstorms is expected by the end of this week. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, tonight will be clear with a low around 39. On Wednesday, sunny skies with a high near 79. On Wednesday night, the Truckee-Tahoe region will be clear with a low around 48 degrees. And in Sacramento, tonight clear skies with a low around 60 Wednesday will be sunny and hot with a high near 96. On Wednesday night, the low will be around 58. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Did you know that the average length of a shower in the United States is around 8 minutes? Or that salmon are being released into Lake Tahoe this summer? Steve Baker is up next in conversation with KVMR's Paul Emery in this new edition of Water News. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, um, there's, of course, a lot of concerns about our third year of drought. But I think there might be some positive news. Uh, Tell us about uh, Lake Tahoe, and particularly if you're in the Washoe tribe. 
Washoe Tribe is probably very happy right now. 100,000 Lahontan cutthroat trout are returning to Lake Tahoe. That's the message that I got, that I received. The uh, Lahontan uh, National Fish Hatchery Complex in Gardnerville, Nevada, they started stocking these fish in Lake Tahoe on June 1st. It's supposed to continue all summer long. And best of all, to all you fishermen out there, it's all catchable. Okay, this action uh, happened because of a huge cooperation between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services through California Department of Fish and Wildlife, through the Washu Tribe of, of Nevada and California, the uh, Nevada Department of Wildlife, USDA Forest Service, Lake Tahoe Basin Area, and of course the Lake Regional or the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency. A lot of agencies working together. Very impressive. Now, 20% of this 100,000 fish, 20% of them are going to be tagged. All right, and the reason for that is the biologists are wanting to study how successful this effort's been with respect to the growth of these fish, their survival, and also how they distributed themselves across the lake. So, uh, hey, fishermen, you are very responsible, <laughs> a responsible party on this one because you're the ones reporting all any tag fish that you catch. And, uh, the, and uh, you can read further in the union and other places as to who you would call. It's probably on your, on your fishing license as well. Well, that's uh, kind of ironic news in a way because, you know, you have to say that duck hunters are very responsible for the preservation of migratory waterfowl. That's true. Well, you know, in, with fish, a lot of times you throw them back. <laughs> so it cuts both ways. Well, what about the uh, Van Norden Meadow? I've heard some things that are good about that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, as you probably already know, uh, California had over 10,000 Sierra Nevada meadows that unfortunately in the last 100 years or so have been adversely impacted. Okay, we're impacted by roads that we've put in, overuse, whether, whether it be recreational or otherwise, uh, developments, uh, wildfires, all those things. Well, Circle, what, South Yuba River uh, Citizens League? They recently were awarded $3.7 million from the Wildlife Conservation Board's uh, Forest Conservation Grant Program. That is excellent. They will be completing, Circle will be completing the first phase of this effort. Now, the Van Norden Meadow is the first, first area to work on. It's 485 acres in size. I, most of us know it. Whenever you're popping over the divide, you see Castle Peak off your left shoulder. Okay, at the base of that where the meadows are, um, are around that, that is where uh, the work will be focused on. This work uh, will be probably finishing up in October and then restarting again next summer. The weather does get in the way. Now, after that, Alicia Wiseman at Circle's uh, River Science Pro Program Manager, she says that there will be follow-up recreational actions uh, going on uh, once they finish this first phase. So I want to send out a congratulations to Circle. Well done. Job well done. But we are in a drought. and. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do we really have to suffer? Is, is there things we can do? What kind of choices do we have? Well, we, we do have choices, Paul. Uh, the little things really mean the big things. So let's take, you know, for example, daily hygiene activities, especially let's focus on showers. Okay. Unfortunately, I like long showers and I'm really not doing it quite so much anymore. What's the right length of time for a California drought shower? That's the big question we're asking ourselves here in California. Well, one of the easiest ways to save uh, just a few gallons a day is your shower. So it's, it's important to take a look at it. The national average, believe it or not, to take a shower is eight minutes. 
All right. So compare that with how long you're you're sitting in the shower taking a <laughs> taking a shower. But also, and my dad grew up. He was he was in the Navy in World War II, and he we grew up this way. Although I got away from it a bit. But the Navy showers, you water water goes on thirty seconds. Turn it off. You lather up. Turn it back on. You rinse for a minute, and you're done. Okay, so that may be uh, a method that some of the families out there want to want to use. Uh, I got to tell you, it's not my method. <laughs> okay, California is an easier way to go. Is California selling uh, shower heads? One point eight gallon per minute shower heads, not the two point five ones, and certainly not the five gallon or five gallon per minute ones that were uh, uh, sold probably twenty years ago. I think uh, maybe uh, a good way to look at our current water situation is through a family project. Um, oh, yeah, and it's tell funny, us about that. Funny you say that because Dale Hunter, he's a very respected African American water expert in Sacramento. He said recently, you know, look at your usage and then make make it a family project. Okay, that's a really good way to look at it. And he went on to say that you got to stay informed. Because water conservation, in order to be effective, it, it's got to be a local issue, like the family size, but also your community at large. So, you know, we can apply his good wisdom right here where we live. And that's what I'm suggesting to everybody. You can look at your grass watering as well as your showers. We talked about showers. You can look at the washing machine and how, you know, just make sure the loads are full before you turn that uh, water on. And likewise with dishwashing. And take the, take the most efficient ways uh, to, to wash your, your dishes. So... Every place has uh, different ways of being informed and different ways of doing things. So choose your own. Make it a make make it a family practice. The bottom line is it all adds up, doesn't it? It definitely does. Steve, thank you so much. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. These days, it seems as if every organization and political movement has a flag. Today on Flag Day, retired Air Force chaplain and veteran Norris Burks shares his thoughts about the holiday. Hey, if you look at your calendar, you'll notice that June 14th is Flag Day. What's that you say? You forgot about it? Don't worry, I understand. If the holiday doesn't involve pies, I don't tend to notice it either. But as a distance runner in Nevada County neighborhoods and a retired veteran, I have noticed your flag. Today I'm going to ask you to notice your flag too. So if you're home today, pull your curtain back and take a look. Is it wavering, wilted, or worn? Is it torn, tilted, or tossed aside? Does your red, white, and blue become more like orange, tan, and gray? Has the symbol that survived the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, become only a tarnished driveway marker for your guests? If so, I'm asking you to consider a proper retirement for your old flag. Bob Vila, the popular home repair advisor, suggests four ways to properly give Old Glory a resting place. The most common disposal is to burn the flag as suggested by the U.S. Flag Code. Not something I'd suggest here in Northern California. My favorite suggestion is to repurpose the flag by sending them to organizations such as Stars for Our Troops and Socks for Our Soldiers. You'll find these organizations by Googling them. If you prefer ceremony, Vila offers guidelines to bury the flag in a wooden box. But the most convenient method is to visit your local hardware store and deposit your old glory in their flag disposal box. 
Many of these collection programs are also maintained by Boy Scouts, the American Legion, and police stations. And while you're at the hardware store, buy a new flag. Take her home and proudly repost her. By the way, she prefers to be hung high from the eave of your home, not whipped to shreds from the bed of your truck. Now wait now, I'm not finished. I do have one more thing to ask. Let her fly solo. She's a one-man woman, true only to Uncle Sam. While she may graciously make room for the MIA flag or your state flag, adding the Christian flag becomes problematic. It begs the question which flag deserves the highest honor. I'm only sharing my opinion, not necessarily flag protocol, but I encourage you to remove special interest banners like stars and bars and rainbows and black and blue lives and political campaign flags. Celebrate your free speech, but please transplant these single interest flags to another pole. Old Glory is an attention hog. She prefers to lead the way, not play second fiddle. When I fly her, it's all about her, nothing else. Those who died serving our country fell under one flag. Today, more than ever, it's time we stood under one single individual flag. Now you're probably asking about now, who are you to be so demanding, Norris? Well, I'm going to ask you to allow me to pull rank on this flag day. I'm the chaplain who has paid his dues. I was the guy who said the prayer over the flag-draped bodies of fallen heroes as they were carried onto the plane, bringing them home from Iraq. I'm the guy whose notification team walked under the eaves of nearly 30 different homes, and beside the flapping flag found in most driveways, I watched our commander begin those words. Ma'am, we regret to inform you that... I'm the chaplain who stood at attention while the honor guard folded the flag over a hero's casket. Who am I to chastise the disrespectful display of the American flag? I'm the guy who performed the funerals that concluded with a kneeling sergeant presenting a folded flag to grieving parents. I choked as I heard him say, on behalf of the President of the United States, the United States Air Force, and a grateful nation, please accept this flag as a symbol of our appreciation for your daughter's honorable and faithful service. The flag is important to me. I want it to be important to you. Buy a new flag today. Send her sailing up high and alone. All sails are final. My mission here is done. This is Chaplain Norris Burks. I hope you'll read more of my commentary at thechaplain.net. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. With that, we close our newscast for this evening, June 14th, 2022. KVMR gets support from our generous listeners and from underwriters like California Solar, local B Corporation employee-owned solar cooperative in Grass Valley, working to balance profit and purpose, specializing in residential and commercial solar systems, including battery backup systems. California Solar, cal-solar.coop, and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com. Thanks for listening to your community radio station. 
Independent media matters now more than ever, and your support makes KVMR a reality. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a good evening.